on this week's episode of Called Bank. We'll do a jazz season preview, starting by taking a look at the strength of schedule, making our predictions for the starting five, as well as previewing the first few games. We'll talk trash on the nuggets along the way. And at the end, we'll make our predictions for whether the jazz sky high and get the two seed bottom out and make the seventh or eighth spot, or if they'll even make a showing and get all the way to the Western Conference Finals. Please like and subscribe. Welcome to another episode of the Called Bank Podcast. Last week on the podcast, we talked a little bit about the Utah Jazz schedule, how at least the first half was released. We talked about a blockbuster trade between Russell Westbrook and John Wall. So if you want to see that episode, make sure to go check it out. But this week, we're going, we want to do a little bit more of a deep dive into the Utah Jazz schedule. So let's start off with the strength of schedule. So Nate, I know you did a little bit of research on this. So what are you seeing from this? So I've got the strength of schedule pulled up on tankathon.com. So thanks to them. Um, Looking at it, they currently give the Jazz the sixth hardest schedule in the NBA for the first half. But it's kind of important to adjust that a bit because the first hardest is the Sacramento Kings, who I don't think really anyone expects to make the playoffs. Second is Detroit Pistons. Third is Oklahoma City. So those first three um, teams, one of the reasons their strength of schedule is so high is because they can't go out and play Sacramento, Detroit, or Oklahoma City to get the easy, quote-unquote, gimme games in the NBA. So taking a look at that, um, once you go down, Miami has the first hardest, um, if you discount those first three. Dallas has the second hardest, and Utah has the um, sixth hardest, or third, on the list. And I'll be honest, when comparing Dallas and Utah, um, Dallas plays... The Bucks once, the Lakers once, the Clippers once, Toronto once, Celtics once, and Nuggets once. The Jazz play the Bucks twice, the Lakers once, and the Clippers three times. So if the Clippers come out and are really meshing, then the Jazz are going to have by far one of the roughest schedules to start off the year. Um, other than that, like, I mean... It's the West Coast. It's the Western Conference, and you're going to have to come out and ball out to earn home court. We've seen the Jazz be solid, have a solid team the past couple years, and they don't get home court. And then, you know, two years ago, they lost to Houston, and things kind of started clicking towards game five, but that was still a gentleman sweep. And last year, we saw them blow the lead against um, Denver and lose that one. So, this season, I think home court's going to be super important since the Jazz have shown that they're able to go toe-to-toe, but what matters is the final score at the end of the game. And home, the Jazz have a great record at home, and so if they're able to get that home court, I think that'll be vital in pushing them through to the second round of the playoffs this year. Yeah, definitely. And uh, something interesting to look at in the schedule is, obviously this year is a little bit different so we can do a little bit more speculating, which obviously is not factual, but speculating is fun, and that's what we do in sports, right? So with this year, especially the teams that made it into the second round or further in the playoffs, they're probably going to be looking to rest some of their stars because it's been such a short 
run. And so while the strength of schedule for the Jazz is like looking tough, especially at the beginning, they might get a little bit of a break against some of these teams uh, because they might see some of their stars either with reduced minutes or not playing at all. And obviously, the schedule that has been released goes, is it at, to some point in March? So by that point, I would expect teams to be playing their stars pretty close to full minutes. There might still be some um, minutes restrictions, especially in games that aren't close games. But I think the Jazz aren't planning to do that. I think players who... Uh, weren't in the playoffs like Bojan Bogdanovic, who's coming off of injury. I don't think they feel like they have a good reason to really restrict his minutes once uh, the doctors say he's 100% and ready to go. I don't think Donovan Mitchell wants to rest one bit. I don't think Rudy Gobert wants to rest one bit. I think these players are coming out and they're fired up, and they know that they let an opportunity go against the Nuggets in the playoffs, and so they don't want to let another one go. So I think I'm expecting the Jazz to come up come out of the gates hot, but um, obviously there's going to be bumps along the road in every season and they'll have to stay mentally tough throughout, especially if they hit those bumps a little early on, earlier than I would expect. They have some tough games that they have to get through. So um, it's on the jazz, but I think um, the strength of schedule might not be as showing as it would be in years past. I mean, you brought up the big concern, which is Bojan, and if he's going to be ready. And from what I've read, he's planning on being ready. Like, he's going to come out, his hands feeling good, and he's going to be shooting it and hopefully lining it up at 38-plus percent again. Um, There's concerns that he's kind of like... He hasn't been healthy as long as I think Jazz fans would have liked before he's starting. He should be healthy enough to start, but it would have been really nice had he been like healthy for a month, two months by now, and been coming in really strong instead of having some concerns there on how quick he's coming back. And I mean, the Jazz did make a couple moves um, this week to shore up the rotation, but the pieces that they grabbed, in my opinion, are more pieces that would benefit from like being in the G League for the Jazz maybe and getting some um, minutes or might just have like some meshing with Quinn Snyder and the, or an assistant coach that just helps them go to the next level. But you really don't have anyone to replace Bojan. And I don't actually, I'll take that back because Conley stepped up without Bojan in the bubble. But what you ideally want to see is Mike Conley coming up, being able to hit 70, 80% of what he did in the bubble and then see um, Bojan come in and be able to be his old self and have Conley as your third option solidly in the books to start off the season. Yeah, I I agree like I think the like that that definitely is a concern there with uh Bojan, but like you said he hopefully will be 100% by the season and most of the indicators that we have are pointing to that. And as you said Conley really stepped up in the playoffs. Um and like he was a big disappointment at the beginning of last season. So seeing him step up in the playoffs, hopefully he can continue that when the whole full roster is there. Uh, before we go a little deeper into the schedule, I think it's important to kind of understand or at least talk about what we think the Jazz will do as far as lineups and rotations. And so um, the starting lineup 
the Jazz the Jazz's starting lineup has been a little bit more fluid than most NBA teams. Uh, you see Joe Ingles moving in and out. Um, you see you saw Royce O'Neal sometimes. Uh, depending on injuries, you would sometimes see Yang. Um, and the Jazz's second unit got a little bit more interesting now that they brought back Derek Favors. And so I'm curious to hear what you think. Like, what do you think the Jazz starting five is, and what do you think the strategy they're going to take um, as far as like throughout the season with the bench and rotations? Do you think they'll keep it the starting five pretty solid uh, as long as people stay healthy, or do you think it'll be more of a fluid where you keep your stars in, but then that, that three four spot is kind of switching around? So I mean the three players that are locked into that starting five, if they're available are, um, are Rudy Gobert. Obviously he's your starting center, no matter what Donovan Mitchell, like he could rotate between starting point guard and starting shooting guard, but he's in there. And then Bojan Bogdanovic. If you have those three players, they're all in. Um, the most obvious other two options would be Mike Conley and Derek favors. Both of those players are starting caliber players. Um, you start running into issues there where Derek and Rudy aren't the best as an offensive combination. They're just both big. They both are starting fives. Like they're both starting centers and favors can play a big power forward, but he'd always prefer to be center on the court if he could be. So in my opinion, I'd prefer not to see Derek in most situations if you're against the Lakers, though, bring in Derek. Like, you need that. They're just so big and so large and so dominant on the offensive end that you need favors there on the defensive end to be able to pick up someone. And Derek would probably do a better job on Anthony Davis than Gobert, just based on size. And then you could have, um, just based, not size, based on athleticism. Um, there's some other stuff that I could see happening, like, you could bring Joe into the starting lineup. Um, you could bench Conley to start the game and kind of like bring him in to close out the halves just to like create some more ball handlers being out there and put that out there. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think the mo- conventional wisdom would say Conley at the one, Donovan at the two, um, Boyan at the three, Favors at the four, even though that one's not my favorite and go bear at the five. Um, but I would like to see the jazz try to be a bit more creative and not necessarily put the weight that starter has been given in the NBA where it's really just kind of like a, it makes me feel good thing rather than an, it actually impacts how the game goes choice. Yeah, that is a good point that who like who starts the game doesn't actually matter it more matters like how many minutes are you playing and who finishes the halves. Um, so it is tough to see like, who are they going to start off the games? Because it could be a strategy because, you know, teams are playing to win. They're not playing to necessarily get off to a hot start, even though that's nice. I would be interested to see though, uh, because the jazz have enough players that could be interchangeable to play with that starting squad. Cause normally in basketball, uh, and obviously you do mix up rotations, uh, so it's not obvious. It's not always just starting five versus starting five and then bench squad versus bench squad. But there are times where you have a good portion of bench players while you're resting your starters to get them ready to finish out those halves. 
And so I would love to see the Jazz put in squads like if you combine like Mike Conley, Derek Favors, and Joe Ingles out there, that uh, and then you you fill in that lineup with with other bench pieces, uh, Yang or uh, O'Neal or um, wh- whoever you want to plug in there. I think that team, that lineup is going to beat any bench lineup in the NBA. Maybe not the maybe not any like the Nuggets. They're pretty deep. There's some other teams that have talented bench squads. But if you have Mike Conley, who he's a passes prime. I don't think he ever got to an All Star game, but All Star level in his prime point guard, who he can shoot, he can dribble, he can pass. You have Joe Ingles, who is surprisingly good on defense, surprisingly good at playmaking, and a great shooter. And then Derek Favors, who obviously he locks down the paint both on offense and defense. That's going to be tough for most second units to uh, take care of. And so that might be where the Jazz win a lot of their games if they go on a scoring run against second units with lineups like that. So you're definitely right. Mike Conley has been an all-star caliber point guard in his time in the league. He's just been an all-star caliber point guard in the West Com- in the Western Conference where that's just where you have the more quality, the more depth of quality players. So if he was in the East, he's starting in an all-star game at one point in his career. Um, I'm also going to call you out and say that the Nuggets are not deep this year at all. At all. They lost... Um, let me read their outgoing players. They lost Tory Craig, Jeremiah Grant, and Mason Plumley. Like they lost their backup center that allows them to keep playing the same style of basketball as when you have Jokic on the court. I, I mean, you need Porter Jr. to come out and ball out this season, and you need Bull Bull to start coming off the bench and being a backup center. I really think people are way too high on this Nuggets team. And I totally get that they're completely disrespected and have been for multiple seasons. But when your biggest signing is Paul Millsap, as he continues to get older and isn't going to have the same minutes output, I don't think they kept the core together that they needed to keep to like have a good season. That makes sense. But like to kind of refute that, I almost feel like teams like the Nuggets and the Celtics in the past couple seasons, they've had just ridiculous amounts of talent. The Nuggets were more on the young end of the talent, I guess. Well, the Celtics did have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who they are young, but they don't play like they're young. They they play more like a, a veteran player, it feels like, when they're out on the court. But it almost feels like those teams that have too much talent, um, it's almost tougher for them to break out and do what they need to. Obviously the Nuggets had a great playoff run, but when you have great players, oftentimes those great players need to kind of get into the game. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. I'm sure if he started, we'd we'd be considering him a borderline all-star in the next year or two, just because of those minutes and he could get back into the rhythm of the game. So I wonder if it sounds counterintuitive, but I wonder if, too much talent almost leads to worse play because like if you have Kobe Bryant in his prime, but then you also have like Michael Jordan and they have to share minutes at the same position, then neither of them can really get into their rhythm. So then you don't really have Kobe or Michael. You have like a lesser form of them. 
would be my guess is how players work that way. But I, I guess we'll see. Like they did lose some important pieces, but maybe that allows other pieces to step up. If Porter Jr. can replace Grant as like the lockdown defender, since you saw a distinct change in the number of points the Jazz were able to put up when Grant came in game five and like he was a, I really think a big game changer in the reason why the jazz ended up losing the next three games. So there's a fair argument that the jazz don't make it to a game seven. If Jeremiah grants in for games one through four, like that, the jazz lose a lot sooner because I feel like that injury was key. Um, but even if Porter jr comes back, um, comes back from his injury and is super successful and we're, we're dry, digressing a bit from the jazz, but this is, a team the Jazz have to fight for um, home court with. I just don't see um, Plumlee being replaced. I think Plumlee was really important. And I believe if you look at the playoffs, a lot of the um, comebacks that Denver had involved, or a lot of the runs they had at least involved Plumlee being on the court. So I think that that's going to be a lot bigger of a loss than people treat it as. But we can, you can refute me or we can get back to discussing the Jazz's schedule and kind of get back on track. Yeah, this isn't a Nuggets podcast. Let's let's stick in Salt Lake. Let's stay with the team that we actually like to watch. No, the Nuggets are fun <laughs> to watch. I won't take that shot. But we they, will they were fun to watch I, for three games in the playoffs last year, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Game Seven, I might have been too scared and just went to bed because I needed to sleep instead of and do homework instead of freaking out about the Jazz losing. Um, so. They op- we've talked a bit. They open up against Portland, which I think is going to be the real competition for the Jazz. I think Portland and the Jazz are going to be fi- um, fighting for the third, fourth seed, maybe second seed, depending on how Kawhi Leonard and Paul George do injury slash load management wise. So I think that that's the I think it's a really big game, not only from a tiebreaker perspective, but from like showing which team is dominant. Yeah, and uh, we talked more about like kind of the beginning of the schedule in the last podcast, and how they're we, and we've been talking about how the Jazz kind of have that chip on their shoulder and they have something to prove, but there are several other teams out there who kind of had that same mentality, and those teams have a lot of talent just like the Jazz do. So overall, the Jazz, even teams that may be underrated. Um, the Jazz are going to have a tough time in the West. And especially when you have some teams that are obvious favorites, um, like the Lakers. And I would still put the Clippers in that conversation, even though a lot of people are kind of uh, considering them the laughing stock. But uh, there's, there's a lot of talent out there. So the Jazz are going to face tough competition that first game against Portland. Um, you know Damian Lillard is going to come out and I I kind of be surprised if he scores less than 40. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you and on the Clippers especially I when you have Kawhi Leonard who's just as good of a player that he is, um whatever team he's on is going to be a contender. The next few games, I like you were saying, they're teams that I'm sure have chips on their shoulders. They're Minnesota, um who you know Carl Anthony Towns is is one of the most athletic players in the NBA, one of the most talented but he, 
And last season they came off on a screeching tear. Like they came out just guns a blazing before they fell out before they fell off. So I think that Minnesota game is going to be important. Like just the jazz. It's a game they need to win. If you're one of the top teams in the Western conference, you need to win that game. So next game is against Oklahoma city. That game. I, you, you need to win. Okay. See the last few years has been one that sucks to lose, but you can lose with Chris Paul going and with them entering full rebuild, sending Steven Adams off to Louisiana. Like you need to win it. Then they play Phoenix and that's going to be super big. Uh, I, the more I've listened to and the more I've researched, I think Chris Paul is just, I don't think it's going to work. I really just don't. Um, he had kind of a resurgence in Oklahoma city, but I was really reminded how he didn't have anyone to compete with, but like being in Portland now, like tensions might ride high and there are other people. He's not just going to be like the veteran who everyone looks up to and just agrees with no matter what, which is very well what he might've been in Oklahoma city. But I definitely think that Phoenix game is going to be really big and the jazz need to come out of the first four games, three and one. Um, if they want to start off on the right note this season. Yeah, I th- there's definitely some sneaky, tough games. I I don't think many people are talking about it, but I think Minnesota is a dark horse candidate to be a 7 or 8 seed in the West. Um, I, people aren't talking about it because obviously they had the number one pick. They've been bad forever. So, um, But I don't know. They, they got some more talent. Ricky Rubio is back. That's definitely going to help them out. Like, um, he's not an all-star, but he, he contributes to every team. Um, the Thunder, they should be at the bottom of the conference by the end of the season. If the Jazz lose, uh, that's uh, not a good sign for the future. And the Suns, um, like you said, I think I, I think there's a lot of potential for the Suns, but you said the kind of locker room issues could be an issue for this team. And if that does come up, like that will come up. I don't expect anything like that to impact the quality of play early on, unless those, unless like the issues start on the court. And Chris Paul, he's working with a lot of young talent. He he might not be as patient as he was with other young talent that he's worked with in the past. At the same time, though, the Suns, if you remember back to the beginning of last season, when they got Ricky Rubio, everyone was talking about. Oh, this this Suns team is good. Like they're going to be a five six seed in the West this year. Like they were looking that good, and then Rubio got hurt, and obviously Aiton, um, he had his suspension, and so I'm wondering if you plug in if Chris Paul stays healthy throughout the year, and have a point guard who Chris Paul is much better at doing whatever Ricky Rubio does than Ricky Rubio. So that may amplify Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and everyone else on that team to uh, great heights. So it's going to be a tough game. Both teams are going to fight hard. Um, I would still give the Jazz the edge, but that is definitely one that the Jazz have to come in ready to fight. Yeah, and like you said, um, Chris Paul needs to stay healthy. Hopefully, I like. I would never wish for him to be injured, but I mean, I'm pretty sure he'll be healthy. You know. New Year's Eve when the Jazz play, like hopefully he makes it through at least the first four games. And like you said, Minnesota's a dark horse for that seven, eight seed, but especially this season where, you know, seeds 
seven, eight, nine, and 10 all get a chance to make it into the playoffs. So when you have a team that's as talented as Minnesota is, even if they're not able to like put together a good regular season, like they might just make it into that nine ten spot and be able to just be athletic enough and have enough star power to make it into the playoffs as is. So it's going to be super exciting. Um, so obviously the Jazz hopefully won't fall down to that nine ten play in range, but overall I think it's going to be really important to start off strong. And this is the first season that this is, I don't want to say first season. This season is just important in the sense that the Jazz really, in all honesty, haven't made that many changes. The biggest change is Derek Favors, who hasn't played with Bojan and Conley, but has played with everyone else. And he hasn't played with Clarkson. So if this is a year to get off to a hot start, like you were saying earlier, when other teams are resting and stuff, like they need to do it because you have to get a win when you can get a win this season, especially since we don't know how many games might get canceled in December, January, February before things start going back to normal, hopefully with a vaccine. Yeah. yeah. And and so we kind of went over the first couple games for the jazz. Obviously, like you said, the jazz need to come out to a hot start. And this year they have the same core and their biggest addition is someone who played with them two seasons ago and knows their system. Um, Obviously, he didn't play with Conley, so there might be some learning, some learning curves there. But I don't think it'll be huge. He knows Quinn Snyder. He knows the team. He knows the area. Um, but as and obviously, we only have a portion of a schedule to work with. Um, there's 110 question marks for this season that we don't even know how many games will actually be played. Um, especially looking at how college football is going this year. Uh, games are getting canceled left and right uh, due to, uh, well, you know why. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what do you think, um, like, if you were to put, as far as seeding goes, and let's say, assuming everyone at least stays healthy enough to play the majority of the games, um, so we, we could take into account, like, maybe Bojan takes a while to get back and his hand bothers him for a while, so he's not putting up great stats. But as far as seeding in the West, where is the Jazz's ceiling? Best case scenario, everything goes great. They outperform. And where is their floor where uh, stuff just didn't work out this year and it's it's time to rethink what's going on? If crap hits the fan, sixth seed is their floor. Um, if everything works out right and you have the Clippers just not carrying enough games, you know, Denver not coming out and just not performing. Um, you have the trailblazers who are still doing good. You have Dallas who, um, obviously probably the biggest dark horse to jump up and get that two seed. If they don't do that, the jazz can get the two seed. Um, optimistically three seed. So I think three to five is the most realistic window that they'll fall in. Um, four probably being where I'd put them at, um, but two to six is kind of the range that I'd expect. And so I'm hoping three think they'll get four worst case scenario that I think will happen might be the five seed. I, I'd agree. Mostly. I think their floor is probably a little lower than the sixth seed. Cause I, I feel like uh, we saw how the jazz team kind of looked when they weren't clicking last season. 
I feel if that happens for an extended period of time, that could be an issue. But then again, this team went through that last year, so I'm hoping they learn from that. And so I, I'd say that their floor could even be a 7, maybe even 8 seed. Um, I don't expect that. That's I think it's more likely that they get a 2 seed than be an 8 seed this year. I um, think someone... I think so. I, I think seven, eight seed is possible. I think that involves someone getting injured. I think yeah. that involves um, Bojan, Donovan, or Rudy going out for an extended period of time, whether it's COVID or whether it's um, another physical injury. I, I think for the Jazz, anything lower than four seed is a disappointment this year. I feel that that's, they didn't meet expectations. I think three seed is obviously they have to come out and play their best, which I think they can, and they just have to play their kind of basketball, and I think three seed is right in their reach. So, um, I like obviously with how tight the West is, it may come down to one game between the three and four seed, uh, so it's not that big of a deal, but I think if they drop below the four, uh, that's a pretty big disappointment for this team because we know their potential and we know what they can do. We've seen them when they're hot. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to take a hot take here and with no disrespect to um, the Miami Heat, but I really think that the Jazz, you know, have that level of talent and have that like ability to do what the Heat did. And Jimmy Butler's a special player and they did some special stuff. But obviously the Jazz are in the West Coast are on the West Coast, so they're going to have to like fight through some harder challenges through some better teams. But I really think overall the Jazz could put together a special season like the Heat did last year. I think they're that type of team. Would I bet my life savings on the Jazz making it to the finals this year? Not at all. But would I be 100% like floored and shocked if they did it? No, I wouldn't. So I do really think that Jazz fans have something to hope for in making it to the Western Conference Finals if you're able to avoid the Lakers. And if something magical happens and somehow you just get to not face the Lakers the whole way, I think they can make it to the finals. Um, but obviously talent versus execution is something are two entirely different things. Yeah. Um, and we saw that last year, the jazz underperformed at certain stretches, but I'm coming in optimistically. I feel like, the only thing that you could count against the Jazz as far as why they might not do as well this season as compared to last is the Bojan hand is a question mark until we see him perform. But I think everything else is pointing in the direction of Utah Jazz success this year. But go ahead. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was just going to say that this is just a really exciting year COVID wise and COVID withstanding is what I meant. And hopefully the jazz are able to have more um, fans in the arena come playoff time. But I think we have a really special team this season. Yeah, I I agree that both the starting lineup and the bench looks great. Uh, But everyone, thanks for joining us. This has been another episode of the called bank podcast. Um, If you're a repeat listener, please share with your friends, share with your jazz fans, Um, jazz friends. I guess you could call them. <laughs> but no, for, for real, share. We, we want to get the message out, get everyone excited about the Utah Jazz this season. Uh, please remember to like and subscribe if you haven't already. And everyone in the comments, 
comment where you think the jazz floor and ceiling is. We'll post a pinned comment down there and we can have some discussions about where you think the jazz will be. Thanks for tuning in.